I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. And as a lot of you are very, very much aware, it's that time of year again. Students of all ages are going back to school. And tonight we want to talk about the purpose and direction of Catholic higher education. Why should your children choose to go to a Catholic college or university? Very important question is, will they be equipped with a stronger Catholic faith and the proper academic knowledge necessary for a changing world economy, changing science and technology, and cultural changes, with many institutions becoming more and more Catholic in name only due to the prevailing secular culture and the cost-to-value ratio of a college education in general. They're going in the wrong direction, and there needs to be some sober discussions about Catholic higher education. So we hope to do that tonight with our guest, who is the president of the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., which this year as its largest incoming class since the year 2010. So please welcome Dr. Peter Kilpatrick. Dr. Kilpatrick, welcome. Thank you, good, Father Mitch. Good to have you here. And let's just give a little background for folks. Uh, this is called the Catholic University. Why is the Catholic University of America? Well, it was uh, chartered and founded by Pope Leo XIII in 1887, and all the bishops of the United States joined hands mm -hmm. and said, we want a pontifical university uh, here in America, mm -hmm. and uh, that was the genesis of the Catholic University of America. So it was the place where all the ecclesiastical degrees were to be granted uh, for priests and, and others. And it really was very much a cooperative effort by the bishops. Is that still the case? It is. It is. We have 16 bishops and cardinals on our board of trustees, mm -hmm. and we engage with uh, many, many more, nearly all the bishops of the United States. And mm -hmm. we'd like to grow our engagement with, with all the bishops around the country. And so we're, we're reaching out to them uh, now with a new office that we formed called the Office of Diocesan Engagement. And I would, I don't have statistics on this, but uh, just having been around Catholic education most, most of my life, I would say that the majority of Catholic universities and colleges are, were begun by Catholic religious orders. Absolutely. And there are a few that are begun and operated by dioceses like University of Dallas. Or Seton Hall, for or example. Or Seton Hall. Yeah. And then there'd be a, a number of others that were privately started. Correct. Uh, you know, like Christendom College, Thomas Aquinas out in California, and a few others, Ave Maria uh, down in Florida. So there, there are a variety of uh, Catholic universities 
but the only one that is operated by all the bishops together is the Catholic University. That's correct, and, and it's the only pontifical university, so chartered by the Holy Father. Mm -hmm. Now, how long have you been the president? I've been there a little over a year, 13 okay. months. Okay, like it? Most days. <laughs> it sounds like most people with most jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it reminds you occasionally that it is a job, but it's a wonderful place, and I'm enjoying my time there. Yeah, good, 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 good. And the, the, some of the things I brought up at the beginning, um, I think are questions that a lot of people have. Uh, many people have begun to question whether they ought to send their children to a Catholic school. I mean, it was hoped and encouraged to go to Catholic school from first grade through university. It had a big impact on, on people. But today it seems to be less. What's, what's exactly going on? Why are people feeling this hesitance? Well, I think like many institutions, Father Mitch, um, Catholic colleges and universities, some of them anyway, began to maybe lose their way a little bit uh, after the sexual revolution and the 60s and 70s. Uh, they were impacted by the culture as much as society was in general, uh, which I believe is why uh, Pope St. John Paul II uh, published his Magna Carta of Catholic Higher Ed, Ex Court Ecclesia in 1990. He wanted to redirect, I think, uh, Catholic universities all over the world and give them something really to aim for in terms of the overarching goals of, of the institution. And we've very much taken that to heart at Catholic University with uh, my immediate predecessor, John Garvey, and mm -hmm. with uh, his predecessor, Bishop O'Connell, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to continue their good work. You know, one um, of, of the concerns is, is that in many, uh, well, there are a couple. One issue is that going back to the early 20th century, more than 100 years now, about 115 years, there's an association for Catholic, for uh, uh, university professors and college professors. And it's, it's not exactly a union, but it's sometimes, you know, lightheartedly called a union for, um, you know, the college professors. You're talking about the AAUP. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very exactly. familiar with that. And they had set as one of their goals early on to secularize the Catholic schools. They, they targeted Catholic schools, and they were somewhat successful in the 60s as they got AAUP, this sort of union-type right. organization, into the Catholic schools. Right. That had a, a serious effect on it in the name of academic freedom. It had a very great effect, uh, as well as the Carnegie Foundation. So you may be familiar that uh, the Carnegie uh, Foundation uh, instituted this Carnegie classification of universities, and they would not fund or recognize Catholic colleges and universities. They really discriminated against them. So there were 
multiple forces happening in higher ed in the 20th century that really legislated against Catholic colleges and universities affirming and really upping the ante of their Catholic identity. And uh, uh, I think uh, another factor, a third factor that was, uh, I remember occurring just before I started university, but the Supreme Court made a decision based on a case from Maryland that required the Catholic schools, the Catholic colleges, to reduce the number on, of the members of the founding order on the boards of trustees. And so in order to get federal funding, no more than one-third of the board could be a member of the founding order. So mm -hmm. the, the Jesuits, Franciscans, all the other orders, Dominicans, had to reduce the number of priests and brothers and sisters on their boards of trustees to reduce their influence. Makes it hard guidance. to live up to the charism, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. A lot of, so that, um, that's, though I think those three factors have been very influential, or am I off yeah, I on would, that? No, I would agree, Father Mitch, and, and really, um, you know, this wasn't just happening in the United States, this was really happening in many countries, mm -hmm. uh, many uh, westernized countries, and I really think uh, that's why John Paul felt compelled, you know, to step in and, and try to catechize the church on what should a Catholic university be? Mm -hmm. I think another, uh, because of the focus on academic freedom, many of the individual departments wanted to make decisions about faculty rather than let administration do it as well. And that had this effect of the departments doing their own decision-making on the basis of are you getting published and things like that. Yes. Rather than are you adhering to Catholic doctrine. Yes, and as you probably know, Ex-Cord has a, a clause in it that a predominance of faculty at a Catholic university must be Catholics. They must be practicing Catholics. And uh, so there's been a lot of debate about what does it mean to have a predominance and uh, how should they be selected. And, um, you know, so we've, we've paid a lot of attention to that, at least in the last many years at, mm -hmm. at Catholic University. And uh, it, it takes a lot of effort to really affirm and uh, intensify the Catholic identity of a university. In, in that document, Ex Corde Ecclesiae, yeah. which means from the heart of, of the, the church, church, because the Catholic Church invented <laughs> the university, correct? They did. Well, at least most of the first universities were all birthed in the, in the, in the, from the church. Uh, you know, there's some argument as to whether there were a few Arabic schools that evolved into universities in the 8th, 9th, 10th century, but the vast majority of what we would recognize as a university today were birthed by the Catholic Church from the cathedral schools mostly. Exactly, exactly. And 
You know, one of the things that ex corde ecclesiae, uh, this document by Pope John Paul, called for, especially the theology and philosophy professors, to give a statement that they're going to stay faithful to the church's teaching. Yeah, the mandatum. Yeah, and canon, canon lawyers as well. So uh, all of our canon law professors, all of our theology, all of our philosophy, and myself at the Insulation Mass, and we're actually considering, you know, how widespread should the oath of fidelity be? Mm-hmm. If you're a leader in the university, if you're, if you're a governor of the university, a member of the board of trustees, should you take an oath of fidelity? Because uh, adhering to the faith and being in the heart of the church, uh, I think is really important for a Catholic university to maintain its ad- identity. Yeah. In fact, we have a little clip of you taking that oath of fidelity at your installation. Let's take a look at that. I now invite Dr. Peter Kilpatrick to recite the oath of fidelity in accordance with the provisions of Canon 833 of the Code of Canon Law. I, Peter Kilpatrick, in assuming the office of president, promise that in my words and in my actions, I shall always preserve communion with the Catholic Church. With great care and fidelity, I shall carry out the duties incumbent upon me toward the Church, both universal and particular, in which, according to the provisions of the law, I have been called to exercise my service. In fulfilling the charge entrusted to me in the name of the Church, I shall hold fast to the faith in its entirety, faithfully hand it on and explain it and avoid teachings contrary to it. I shall follow and foster the common discipline of the entire Church and maintain the observance of all ecclesiastical laws especially those contained in the code of canon law. With Christian obedience, I shall follow what the bishops, as authentic doctors and teachers of the faith, declare, or what they, as those who govern the church, establish. I shall also faithfully assist the diocesan bishops so that the apostolic activity, exercised in the name and by the mandate of the church, may be carried out in communion with the church. So help me God. Please be seated. This is an important part of making a public commitment to being faithful to church teaching, moral law, and discipline. Absolutely. Do you have any reflections on that? I told uh, some of my closest friends uh, who who attended the installation that I really, it it had a great impact on me. Mm -hmm. I really felt convicted by by the oath in in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. That this is my commitment to the university. This is my commitment to the church. This is my commitment to the bishops uh, and uh, to everyone who went before me at, at the Catholic University to really uphold the faith in its entirety and with, with delicate fidelity. Mm-hmm. 
by the way, as we see clips of you there, um, why were you wearing that yellow <laughs> robe? They're the colors of the Vatican. Oh, okay. Yellow and gold. So and white. And because it's a pontifical university, yes, yes. Uh, you're the Pope's school, so you wear the Pope's colors. Absolutely. See, I remember when I used to work with street gangs in Chicago, <laughs> they would wear their own colors too. <laughs> uh, this is no, we wear the Pope's colors. Okay, good. Yeah, well, that's that's your gang. <laughs> that's our gang. It's your boys. That's our tr that's our tribe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but but I think that that's good for folks to understand. You know, it is that, that this is. You know, not your university, your, your graduating university uh, robes, but the ones for the university where you now are the president. In terms of the students, what impact ought all of this to have on students who are spending a significant amount of money to go into a university? And they are looking, many of them are thinking of their careers, uh, and they should, but they also are thinking of other values when they come to Catholic U. How does this impact them? Yeah, I, um, Father Mitch, I think we have a commitment um, to help the young people who come to us um, be trained and educated professionally so that they can have a career, mm -hmm. and that's what most universities do. But I think more important than that, um, you know, Father Basil Moreau, who founded the Congregation of Holy Cross, uh, said once, uh, education is the art of bringing a young person to completion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of Catholic colleges and universities will talk about educating the whole person. Well, what, who is the whole person? You know, the, you, you don't, uh, show up at a university as a disembodied intellect. You show up in a body with emotions, with a spirit and a soul, and with emotions. And I think we're obligated to help them with everything, we're, with uh, you know, developing their psychology, developing uh, their spiritual life, their liturgical life, their catechetical life. Their artistic life. I mean, if you teach literature courses, absolutely, you're going to be teaching them about the art of language. Everything that that points to God, truth, beauty, goodness, I think needs to be thoughtfully incorporated into all the education and services that we provide them. So while we're giving them all this development in all these different areas, we're helping them grow towards God and deepen their, deepen their faith life. One of the things that has come to disturb me, I came across it once when I was a professor and there was a philosophy professor hmm. who made fun of his students that were clearly committed Catholics. He ridiculed them in front of the other students. And I was appalled that he would do that. You, you are going to have a diversity of opinion and thought, and you have people who are at different stages of forming their thought. And ridicule, I thought, had no place in the classroom. But now we see something else 
and it's fairly widespread in some campuses. Namely, there's a stifling of thought and expression. You, you cannot say things. And I've said many times on this program over the years that people in a medieval university with the Inquisition out there had more freedom of speech than you do at places like Harvard and other Ivy League schools where you are not allowed to say words like mother, father, grandmother, grandfather. I mean, uh, this, this is a fairly, so Stanford is very famous for this, mm -hmm. um, you know, that uh, these, these words at different universities that varies from one campus to another. But is this an issue that you see going on at Catholic University and the other Catholic schools? Well, at, at our university, I, I actually uh, published a communication to the community last year when, when one of our uh, speakers was challenged by some of our students who, who felt unsafe that the speaker would be coming to campus. And, um, you know, so I wrote in my communication that we uphold free speech and that I, I did not see anything uh, really objectionable about the speaker. You know, this was a, an assertive speaker, but not a, not a rude or hate-filled speaker, and was expressing a view that was uh, consistent, I thought, with a Christian anthropology. And I was very comfortable, and so I wrote this note to the community, and I, I got a lot of good responses from that, but I'm seeing a backlash in, in higher education against the censuring and canceling. For example, uh, yesterday there was an article in the uh, uh, Inside Higher Education about a group of 13 universities that have now come together to affirm free speech at universities. And I know there are many more than that. And so I think people are a little fed up with cancel culture and mm -hmm. censuring. Um, now, as a, as, you know, as a, uh, a Catholic university that affirms its fidelity to the teaching of the church publicly, you know, we, we are careful about uh, not inviting people to campus that would openly uh, attack and degrade Catholic teaching unless it was part of a debate that was sanctioned by one of our groups on campus. So mm -hmm. we, we try to be cautious uh, but we uphold free speech. And I think that um, w with that concern for speech, free speech, for the professors, there sometimes are difficulties if their research doesn't fit certain expectations. Mm. Uh, they can be canceled. I, I had a guest on who is a medical scientist. Mm. And his medical research contradicts some of the trends in popular society, and he doesn't get published. Do you find that difficulty for many of your faculty as well? I have not heard of that problem with our faculty. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we have faculty who publish very controversial uh, things, uh, mostly 
running counterculturally. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I'm think now a lot of those publications are are books or um, religious journals or uh, but it, it, there's an interesting trend I think towards uh, open source publications mm -hmm. and I know there are more and more uh, communities around the academy uh, that are publishing things on family studies and marriage and uh, that that. Uh, some people would be challenged by. And um, this is uh, something that I think uh, we, we all have to stand up for freedom of speech. Absolutely. In a university in particular where you want ideas to be debated, if you have a different idea, let's understand what's the difference. Why is my position based in fact, and why is yours based in fact? What is logical? That would seem to be what the university is meant to do. Yeah, the master of that was Thomas Aquinas. Yes. Uh, there was no one better than taking their opponent's argument and elevating it mm -hmm. and unpacking it in a, in a graceful and generous way, uh, and then offering a, a counterpoint. Uh, and he did it with great charity uh, mm -hmm. and with and with great uh, efficacy. And we could learn a lot from St. Thomas in, in terms of how do we get back to civil discourse in a way that expands the mind and helps people really understand the truth of the matter. And the, the other side of it, you just mentioned civil discourse because much of the conversation that we see in the public uh, has all kinds of words bleeped as people yell at each other because it, it's not kind and it's not civil. Um, and, you know, that's not necessary. It, it, if anything, using nasty words as almost punctuation and for force is a display of the speaker's ignorance of how to argue his point. Yeah, I think expletives are a, a sign of immaturity and a poor vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, whereas it's possible to speak clearly and get to the points, but you have to be trained in That's what university does. That's what we should do. Um, among other things, uh, there's many things that we should do as a, as a university, but as a Catholic university, but certainly uh, helping students understand how do you reason through when you're dealing with someone who holds a contrary opinion mm -hmm. or, or position, and you know, that's what debate clubs are about. You know, what exactly. happened to the great debate clubs in high school and college? And, um, where is the art of debating? Where has that gone? Including, uh, again, when I was in, an undergrad, we were required to have speech classes and that include debate as a part of it. Uh, we were expected to learn how to present our thoughts. Not just to have the thoughts, you have to develop those in some classes, but learning how to express it. Right, yeah. Another area that people are concerned with is the religious 
life of the students. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite universities is uh, the Texas A&M, where the, the, the Catholic parish is extremely lively. Great campus ministry there. Absolutely. Is, what's the priority for that at your uh, university? So we're in the second year of uh, a group of Dominican fathers, uh, a priest of the Society of St. John, and then we hope some religious sisters uh, from the Sister Society of the Society of St. John coming to join us uh, at Catholic University to, for campus ministry. Mm -hmm. And they've decided to really focus on uh, three pillars. Um, so one is uh, liturgy and the sacraments, mm -hmm. one is uh, catechesis and faith formation, and one is, is service and justice. And I think they've done a fantastic job. So a pr very high percentage of our students attend weekly mass, a very high percentage of our students are involved in um, different activities associated with campus ministry. In fact, it, it's probably the single biggest uh, predictor of whether a student will uh, be retained at our university and graduate or not. If they get involved in these campus ministry activities, uh, the likelihood of them persisting at our university goes way up. Now, you don't check on them and kick them out of class if they're not involved, do you? No, of course not. Yeah. But we do everything that we can to draw them into these activities. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's the action. I, I think it points to the integration of the academic and religious life. Yes. That the two help each other rather than oppose each other. They do. Um, you know, if you, if you try to make all your decisions based on reason alone, your reason is restricted um, because there's an entire dimension of thought that you've just cut off, and that's the transcendent. And, and if you try to exercise your faith with, as St. Peter says, not having a reason for the hope that's within you, mm -hmm. you've, you, you can fall into fideism and, and really, really or hurt. Or superstition. Or superstition. And so to put them together is a really important dimension of what a Catholic university should do. And John Paul was very eloquent about this, as you know. Exactly. Exactly. I think this is one of the keys that we want to see that growing integration. To me, maturity is learning to integrate all the different areas of your life. It's immature to compartmentalize. By that, I mean you have this is what I do politically. This is my business and my work. This is my family. This is my wife and children. This is uh, where I go to church. And I put these little compartments. And, you know, I always like to point out that a ship, when it is sinking, closes the compartments down from each other so that they all don't go down. It's better when all the aspects of life work together and are communicating and supporting each other. That'd be the, the way to do it. We have to take a little break. 
Uh, but if you want to find out more about Catholic University of America, you can go to catholic.edu. Catholic.edu. Most universities have that as their ending edu. So take a look at that to find out more about them. We'll take a break. We'll come back and see some of your questions and comments. So please stay with us. First of all, before we get to your questions, um, I want to remind you that the EWTN Family Celebration is coming up fairly quickly. It is Saturday, August 26th, right here in Birmingham, Alabama. If you want more information about it and if you want to register for this free event, absolutely free, go to EWTN.com slash Family Celebration. Or you can call, in North America, 1-800-447-3986. 1-800-447-3986. Ready for some questions? Absolutely. Let's start off with Miss Ruth, who is over in the great state of Louisiana. Ruth, what can yes. we do for you? Yes, you're right about that in Louisiana. My question is, there's so many now... What's that? We, we lost you, Ruth. I don't see, Somehow we got cut off. But I, I think we should... Oh, the there you are. Uh, Ruth, yeah, uh, we missed your question. Would you repeat it again? Okay. There are so many non-Catholics now coming to Catholic colleges, but they're allowed to start up non-Catholic clubs in these Catholic colleges like pro-choice clubs and all their little things that they're going for now. Well, I want my grandchildren to go to a college to enrich their Catholic faith, to fall in love with it, not having to be there trying to defend it and stake this cause and everything. So mm -hmm. I want to hang up and listen and thank y'all for the wonderful things y'all are doing. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate it. Yeah, so we're, we're about 80 to 85% Catholic. Uh, we're about 10% other Christians, including Orthodox and a variety of Christians. And then we're about 5% uh, roughly non-Christian. And I don't find any issue with, uh, you know, pro-choice or gender ideology on our campus. Um, we have a few people um, who occasionally will ask about it, and we try to catechize them. And so I have a presidential speaker series, and... My first speaker this last year was uh, Abigail Favalli from uh, the University of Notre Dame who who's wrote a book called The Genesis of Gender. And it's, it's really a wonderful book, I think, that's uh, very, very consistent with our Catholic faith. So. And dealing with the gender uh, uh, issues yes. that are showing up in our, uh, our society at large, our government, our uh, 
taking them head on. Yeah, and the, the entertainment, right. all this, and economics. Right. So, you know, it is true that the culture is rife with these issues, um, you know, but we've been pretty clear about our mission and our public stance on these issues at, at the, the Catholic University. Good. We have another call. We have Peter in New Jersey. Peter, what can we do for you today? Hello, Father Mitch. We love you. I'm so thank grateful you. for your program, and uh, I want to thank you for you. I know you're a Bible theologian. We so appreciate your scripture knowledge. No, thank you very much. I love being able to do it. Yes, sir. I wanted to ask your guest, doesn't he find that when prospective employers like companies want to hire, I'm assuming that they would want to hire someone from a Catholic university rather than the uh, public university, which is degraded so much. Does he find that uh, prospective employers are really uh, you know, looking for Catholic graduates? Thank you. I'll listen over to TV. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Peter. That's an interesting question. Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, uh, Catholic uh, young people who've been well-formed in virtue tend to be very hardworking. They tend to be very honest. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they tend to be virtuous. And, of course, employers want to hire virtuous people. They make better employees. And so, uh, you know, we place a very, very high percentage of our students, and we find they're very sought after. Mm -hmm. But is that any surprise that uh, someone who learns how to be virtuous would be attractive to employers? I, I don't think so. And, and I think that gets at the issue of teaching Catholic moral theology. Moral theology is not just memorizing the Ten Commandments. Right. It's understanding the ramifications Thou shalt not steal, for instance, in the Ten Commandments, has as a ramification. You may not take bribes as a politician, nor are you allowed to give a politician a bribe. That fits under stealing. You know, I, these, these would be ramifications that you need to work through and think about. Yeah, Father Mitch, I find that if you teach moral theology from the thou shalt not perspective, it doesn't stick quite as well mm -hmm. as when you teach it from the thou shalt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you, when you teach virtue, you're, you're filling a, a void with something really positive, mm -hmm. which is how do you counteract this evil, this, this absence of the good. How do you counteract that with the good by filling it with a virtuous habit? And so, uh, you know, honesty, you know, legislates against stealing and bribes and so on. Magna right. Magnanimity, you know, it legislates against being miserly and, uh, you know, uh, rude or, you know, you get the point. Mm -hmm. and, and so we actually have faculty at the Catholic University who go through the entire 50 ver 50 virtues in the virtue tree as, as part of their training in business or other disciplines. And, and so I think it's really helpful to our students to have that kind of exposure uh, to that knowledge and education. Yeah, and you're blessed that nearby you have the Dominicans, this, virtu this virtue approach to moral theology. 
is really highlighted by St. Thomas Aquinas. And just across the street from the university, you have the Dominican House of Studies. I suspect there's some crossover. And more recently by Cervé's uh, uh, Pink Airs, you know, so there's a great tradition within the Dominicans of teaching moral theology through virtue. And yes, we are, we are blessed to have them. We have yeah. uh, uh, many Dominicans, uh, you know, in our campus ministry, but also on our faculty. And we're looking to partner more closely with our Dominican friends uh, in, teach, in jointly teaching courses on campus. Sure. So they're a great blessing to yeah, us. No doubt. Now, something else though that you mentioned virtue in the business courses. There is also a certain business component to running a university. You don't get stuff for free. And one of the difficulties that has happened is, you know, the increased price of tuition is totally divorced from the increase of inflation. I mean, it, it, it doesn't follow inflationary trends, uh, but there, there are other factors coming in. So where I went to graduate school, the tuition, uh, I was blessed to be on a scholarship, but tuition was $4,300 back in 1979 and 80. And that same university now is charging over $70,000 a year. Yeah. What's happening? Well, you know, I think there's a misunderstanding of what the actual cost of college is. So virtually no one pays that $70,000 sticker price. Mm -hmm. Virtually no one. Okay. So the average discount rate, unfunded discount rate in the United States in higher education is between 50 and 55%. And so when you see that sticker price of 70,000, you know, the majority of the students are paying somewhere around $30,000 a year. Okay. And when you take the 4,900 in 1979 and you inflate it to 2023, uh, figures, you, you get something not too far from about $30,000. And so mm -hmm. there's a myth uh, that's being propagated by some of the media that somehow, uh, you know, tuition. Now, why do elite universities have that very high sticker price? Well, it's because, um, you know, they're trying to communicate that they are a very high value. They're an elite, high value university. Uh, you know, uh, the president of Purdue, Mitch Daniels, he said, I'm not going to follow that trend. And so he just quit raising tuition many years ago. And the tuition at Purdue is now about $23,000, $24,000 a year, which is about what it costs to run a university if you get all the additional revenue. So I think people don't understand really uh, what's happening with tuition and the business model of universities. You know, my dad was a used car salesman for a lot of years. That's what some of these <laughs> guys exactly. sound like. 
you know, Father Mitch, that's a, that's is Harvard going down to the level of the used car salesman? I, yeah, I got this car. Okay, for you, I'm going to give it at this price. But all the but this is what it's worth. But not for you. I love you. All the elite universities are doing that now. In in fairness, um, you know, it it is expensive to run a university. I mean, it costs a lot of money to pay faculty and staff sure, and to sure. keep up your buildings and um, you know it is it is very expensive but again I, th I think someone should tell the true story of exactly what students are paying at all these universities full cost of attendance and compare them across all the different categories of universities someone should do that and someone should stop the university presidents from presenting a shill. <laughs> Just saying. Fair enough. Yes. So we have another call. We have Gene in Pennsylvania. Gene, what can we do for you? Yes. Uh, good evening, Father Mitch, uh, Dr. Kilpatrick. I was calling because, um, well, I was compelled by your conversation. It reminded me of an article that I just read uh, from First Things. It's uh, titled, Who Killed the Catholic University? And uh, the article essentially um, lays out the proposition that um, ex corde ecclesiae was uh, in effect outright rejected uh, by Catholic colleges. And so my question is really, did, um, did the doctor experiencing experience anything like that um, in uh, his career uh, in the last uh, 30 odd years. Thank you very much. That's a very great question. That article, by the way, if anybody's interested, it appeared in First Things and it was in April 2023, so just this year. So uh, your response? Yeah, the caller asks a great question, so thank you for that. Um, I would say that XCORD received, had a very mixed reception. Uh, some universities and some parts of some Catholic universities really strive to adhere to it. Mm -hmm. You know, John Paul was revered as such a saintly pope, and we lived in the John Paul II generation for 25 years. And, um, and also as himself a brilliant academic. Absolutely. Who had lectured at Harvard University. A lot of folks don't know that. Yeah. He had, he'd been a guest professor at Harvard. And for many years, you know, he was a philosophy professor at uh, Lublin. Lublin. Yeah. And so, you know, John Paul knew the university and he knew, um, you know, what a Catholic university really should be. And so I would say, yes, many Catholic colleges and universities resisted uh, ex court ecclesiae. Uh, parts of many universities embraced it, uh, and I think there's a, a subset of, small subset of Catholic universities who've really tried to uh, engage with XCORD and use it as a, as a model on, on how to drive academic development at their university. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. So one, one of the things, you know, we talked about uh, the integration of faith and reason. Um, another dimension of XCORD is, uh, and I, I can't recall the exact words that John Paul used, but he basically said the Catholic University has a duty and a responsibility to consecrate itself 
to the pursuit of the truth. And who is the truth? Well, the, the truth's a person. The, the truth is our Savior, uh, Jesus. And so I think we have a solemn duty and a responsibility to help our students and our faculty understand that we should consecrate ourselves to the pursuit of friendship with Christ because that's at the center of what it means to be a university. I think also that it's a way to stand up against the cancel culture. Hmm. If you pursue the truth, it means that you believe truth exists. And hmm. that goes flat against the relativism hmm. so common in our society. And I think that's a, a very important element. And another aspect of all this too, uh, the students don't sit there grumbling and grousing and say, man, these people want truth. And you know, no, there's- They're uh, hungry like to, for it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to show a clip of the students at graduation hmm. from your university. Let's Wonderful. take a look at that. A lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of tears as well, but also a lot of happiness now to see everything coming to fruition. because you can absolutely do it with the help of your family and friends. And it's so, so, so worth it in the end. Enjoy every second that you have. Everything goes by so quickly. And four years went by in the blink of an eye. People that have done it before you and are doing the things currently that you want to be doing. Follow their footsteps. Let's be honest. There are very few institutions and parts of our lives where people really care. But God cares if you're happy. I pray you will begin the journey of love and excellence. We have so much for which to be grateful. Our very lives, our intellects, our wills, our family and friends, our faith. We will derive the strength, the courage, and the grace to love without limit and to pursue life with excellence. So that was just this year's graduating class. That's that's very very nice. Um, it, it's that's a great moment because they really do have a sense of an important accomplishment. That you know the the I'll never forget a plumber who sent his son to our Jesuit high school in Cincinnati, and he has sent all of his sons, in fact. And he said, I know this is kind of expensive. It's a little bit of a strain for me. But it's better to give him a good education than to give him all the money I would, uh, 
you know, that I could have given by saving on tuition. The government will tax your mm. inheritance, mm. but they can't tax your education. That stays with you your whole life. Yeah. And that's a great value it is. That, that, that we have. It is. Bringing a young person to completion. Yeah. That's what it's about. And this coming school year is your largest incoming class since 2010. Right. That's, that's a good sign that you're drawing young people to this kind of a Catholic education that really seeks to be very Catholic. Yes. And that's, a, that's well worthwhile doing. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, I'm very grateful to our leadership team, to my vice president of enrollment, uh, to our marketing team. Uh, you know, everyone worked very, very hard uh, to bring this class to the Catholic University. But I'm especially happy for the students and the parents yeah. that are coming yeah. because I know what kind of an education they're going to get. That's a wonderful part of it. You know, uh, the only thing you don't want to let them know is what the traffic in Washington, <laughs> D.C. is like. Don't, don't, don't. They take the metro. No, there you go. <laughs> uh, if you want to get more information about the Catholic University of America, you can do that. You can simply go to catholic.edu. Uh, and in addition to the university being there, uh, it's on its own property in the middle of the campus is the National Shrine. That's right. Uh, 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 to Our Lady, the uh, National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, Conception, which is the patroness of the United States. So that's a great place. A lot of students would come there for Mass as well as their, their chapels yeah. that are on campus. Yeah, we're very blessed to have as close friends uh, the people who run the shrine. Monsignor Rossi mm -hmm. is, is on our board and, and a wonderful colleague and friend. And uh, the Basilica is just magnificent. It is. And it it's, is. Right th it's right there. Well, thank you for coming over here to talk to us about some of these very important issues and stir this up. And may the Lord bless you and bless all of our audience, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, we can bring you this program and all the other programs, the series that we do and specials and the upcoming family celebration only because this network is brought to you by you. Our Lord inspired Mother Angelica to do, to do that rather than have advertising. So please keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you, and thank you.